Welcome back to the CBJ show for episode 49. I'm Jason. Alongside me is Brandon. And we're back and ready for some more sports talk. Um, doing a lot more NBA today as the season is uh, about a month through close to that area. Uh, it's been a very eventful season. And we're also, um, it's been a good segment of this podcast talking about the NFL entering week 11, a huge week. Um, playoff implications are going to be on the line in a few weeks, so we might take a look at that at some point. But again, these games are going to be um, incredible because all these teams are so close in record. This is the most competitive the NFL has honestly ever been, and we're going to dive into that um, following our NBA discussion. But first, the NBA discussion. The Boston Celtics are 12-3 right now. They started off really hot, 3-0, and then took a few losses. Um, but right now, they're up to 12-3. and um, they look incredible. Uh, everything is coming together, even with new head coach Joe Mazzulla. They look amazing. The depth is really evident how they made these changes this offseason. Bringing in Malcolm Brogdon was huge. He is one of the best players on this team, and he brings a spark off the bench. Um, and they're holding up without Robert Williams, which um, is really interesting. I think a lot of it is because of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown making that leap another to another level that so many leaps every single year, but this risk Jason Tatum take his leap line, if not top five player in basketball and MVP front runner at this moment. And Jalen Brown, he is a superstar right now. His ability to dominate on both sides of the ball um are incredible. He is um really stepping up on offense too. He's um averaging over 25 points per game, this career high for him. Um and he's just falling out um every single day. Um that that he gets the opportunity to play. He is just falling and making sure that his presence is felt. So, Brandon, you think that um, is Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, Fire and Ice, are they the best duo in basketball right now? Um, It's really hard to say. <laughs> because, like uh, Jason mentioned, we're only about one month in, only about 15 games in. Can it? Can you say someone's an MVP front runner? Can you say that these two players are the best in the NBA right now? I mean, yes, but it's hard to really know. I mean, it's the reason why I'm questioning it is it's really just it's gonna take time. Uh, with MVP and best two, I think when it gets to the All Star break in February, when it gets to the end of the season, um. In April, I think then we'll look back and say, was this, do these two players show that they're, they were probably one of the best duos this season? Then we have a question. But I think for right now, I think it's hard to even put in uh, maybe a little bit perspective of where they're at and just know that still early and uh, maybe they're the front runner for, uh, I definitely say Tam's the front runner for MVP, but he's got a long way long way to go he needs to keep playing like he's playing right now but say he falls off say he gets injured or ever does he still deserve mvp then that's a question yeah it definitely will be a question i mean if we're talking about right now jason has been extremely consistent even on his off nights he's not shooting the ball he's still figuring out other ways to impact the game with his defense his playmaking uh and his offensive rebounding and when you have that, someone who 
who when he has on nights is the best player on the floor by a mile and on his off nights he may not be the best um shooting the ball or scoring the ball but when you have that ability to dominate the game in the small ways that don't necessarily show up on the stat sheet that's what truly makes an mvp and that's why jason tatum is taking his game to a new level this year um we know he's out for revenge from last year um he's just a man on a mission right now um and with the way the Celtics are playing like nine straight wins um jason tatum has looked incredible in all of them um, whether he has the on nights or off nights shooting the, the basketball. Um, but he's just looking incredible. And um, yes, um, he, he has to keep up this pace because um, it's not a given that he can get MVP. He has to work for it. He has to maintain the statistics. He has to maintain the team success because that is what MVP voters look at. And um, and I think that if he's able to keep this up. I don't really think that there are many other players you can put in that conversation with Tatum with the way the Celtics team success has happened, as well as Jason Tatum's performance and his statistics this season. I, I do have a, a quick hypothetical question for you. Say Tatum goes on this amazing season. We know last year the Celtics made it to the NBA Finals. People were saying that maybe he was the star of the team, but he kind of, say, failed at the end. Um, and did not perform his best. What if Tatum has that MVP season and then repeats that performance in the the finals? Is that something that we start to worry about Tatum? Is he really an MVP, or is he needing to take a few years before we can say he's a player that's going to win championships? Well, I think they're really two separate things. The MVP is a regular season award and the championship is in the playoffs. Um, but um, yeah, Tatum, if he continued this in the regular season, if he is incredible in the regular season, puts up historic numbers like he's doing right now, I don't think there's many people who can argue MVP over him and he probably should be the front runner. Uh, playoffs is a completely different thing. That complete other issue that we need to work with. Me personally, I'm a bit worried about that because last year he looked in the playoffs well in at least the the finals in the first three rounds he had some incredible games he dropped nearly 50 in a few games um so i give him credit for that but specifically the finals uh in the last few games of the finals he just did not look like himself um not the jason team that we all know and love but i do think that he um he definitely looks like he's going to be more consistent this year because last year you could tell during the season that he was a bit inconsistent and couldn't figure out other ways to impact the game. But what we've seen from Jason Tatum as of late is that he's finding the other ways to impact the game when he's having an off night. If he's shooting like two of 13 from three-point or something like that, he has those nights um, like every once, every three weeks, two weeks sometimes. Um, but he's still finding ways to be a great playmaker and be a great defense and get his teammates open and make um, the spacing on the floor look a lot easier. And I think that's going to be a real help. I especially think that um, the road to the finals this year is going to be a little bit easier than last year. I thought last year was a complete gauntlet for the Celtics. They went through so many tough basketball teams. They went through Katie and Kyrie in the first round. Then they have to go through Giannis. Then they have to go through uh, Jimmy and Ben and that insanely stacked Miami Heat team. And then they have to probably one of the greatest dynasties of ever, the greatest dynasty of the 2010 Golden State Warriors. Um, they obviously fell short, and I think that was due to a lack of experience. But now we see the Celtics have more experience. Jason Tames in his sixth season in the league. I know people want to say he's still young, but um, and he, he is only 24 and only 19, as some people still joke. But 
Um, I do think that Jason Tatum has the experience now in his sixth season. Um, he's um, on a mission right now, and um, he knows what he needs to improve on. He knows what he needs to fix. And at this rate, I think Jason Tatum's going to be able to carry the Celtics really far into the playoffs, and they look like the best team in basketball right now. So I think it could absolutely lead them to a championship at this rate. Moving along in the East, talking, we're going to talk about the Bucks. talk about Brooklyn. I think the biggest storyline in the NBA this um, first part, first month of the NBA season was the Brooklyn Nets. They had probably, you could say, the shakiest start, the weirdest month, I would say. Um, they started 2-9. and nine. Then they decided to fire Steve Nash. Then there was the whole... Uh, Kyrie Irving controversy, which we're not going to get into, kind of not the end of it. We're we'll skip over that a little bit. Then they looked like they were going to go and hire Imi Doka. That didn't happen, and now they are seven and nine, which is a little surprising because um goes to show that maybe Kyrie is not helpful. In the Nets organization, maybe Kyrie is a "quote unquote" distraction for the team. Um, maybe Steve Nash wasn't the right fit for the Nets, but it's really hard to know. We know that uh, KD did come out after their huge blow. I think it was the Kings game when they lost by like they led up 150 points or whatever. He goes. Do you look at my you look at the lineup and there's no one to help me? He goes, Our our lineup sucks basically. Um but even still they've won they they've gone five and three without Kyrie, so maybe uh it's better that Kyrie doesn't play. So I guess my question to you, Jason, is should the Nets bring back Kyrie or say I think you need a little bit more time away from basketball? I mean, I, I know we don't really want to speak on the issue too much, but I do think that um, what Kyrie um, has done is pretty bad. I do think some people do interpret what interpret his because he has apologized multiple times, um, but it is very hard to forgive. At the end of the day, I do think that the Nets probably should be bringing back Kyrie Irving. I mean, from a basketball standpoint, you really need him. Their team is not looking great when the team just rests on Kevin Durant's shoulders with nobody else to help him. And Kevin Durant is playing is playing for the Nets with a trade request already. Like he he's already said during the season that he has requested a trade, but he is still playing th- through the season. He is still balling out at pretty much an MVP level. He's averaging over 30 points per game. And this Nets team has not the best depth, and he's still making great use of it. Because like when you have Stars like Edmund Sumner, Royce O'Neal, Joe Harris, and Nick Claxton. Not saying those are bad players, but they're probably better as good bench players on a championship team rather than the starters. Um, and the bench isn't bad. They have Ben Simmons off the bench, who's he had a really good game, uh, I believe, two nights ago. Um, but uh, they definitely need Kyrie Irving back because they're lacking that second score. They do not have a playmaker outside of Kevin Durant. They don't have a playmaker at the guard position who can start a game and drop. 30 because that's not something that Edmund Sumner, Ben Simmons, and Patty Mills can do, um, whether we like them or not. And we need this, that's we're going to need to see Kyrie Irving back, um, because, um, their team is just not going to go anywhere. And with Kyrie Irving, they'll probably sneak into the playoffs at some point. 
it's interesting you mentioned Kyrie trying to play for uh, a new team, maybe see if he could get in that trade block. But it, it is interesting to see if he does still have, obviously, one year left on his contract. He is free agent after this year. Um, but it's interesting if he still wants to play that. We know in the summer when he was looking for a trade, really the biggest thing was he didn't want to play for Steve Nash. Well, now he got Steve Nash fired. Does he still want to play in Brooklyn? Maybe not. He probably wants to play somewhere else. But for the moment, he's probably saying, I'd rather play here um, because I know Steve Nash is gone than not, not being able to play anywhere else. Yeah, you mentioned that KD was very interested about um, getting Steve Nash out of Brooklyn, and it happened, so he should be happy. Um, but Sean Marks is still there as a GM, who we also complained about. So I, I do think that KD is very unhappy in Brooklyn right now, um, and uh, the team has made some very bad decisions to help him out. Um, I think that the James Harden trade was terrible because now James Harden um, looks amazing in Philly, and he still did look great in Brooklyn. But um, I don't understand the logic of that because the trade that they did get for James Harden um, back um, the year before was incredible. And I think Katie has to be frustrated with these management decisions because they're making some terrible decisions with trades and contracts. And at the end of the day, if I'm Kevin Durant, um, I'd definitely be mad. But at the same time, there's some there's one way where I can't really um, empathize with Katie because he did sign a contract extension in 2021. And then the year after he requests a trade kind of like, as we know, Deshaun Watson did with the Texans, he signed a contract extension after one bad year, um, he requests a trade. And now KD is doing this um, after one bad year where they get swept by Boston, they, that Kevin Durant will request a trade after signing that four year super max deal. It just confuses me how he switched up so quickly. Um, we know Kevin Durant is someone who switches up a lot because um, he absolutely switched up on the Thunder back in 2016 when he left, and everyone called him a snake for that. Um, and so we're really seeing Kevin Durant um, think that he is more powerful than an organization. And um, sometimes you can't really have your players thinking that they're at this above level because they really should not have that much power over an organization at times. It will be interesting to see where Brooklyn goes. Talk about surprises in the East. I think Brooklyn failing, falling behind really quickly was definitely a surprise. Miami Heat right now are not even in the, the playoff picture, which when you talk playoff picture, technically top 10 teams are in the playoff picture. Um, looking at the other teams, Chicago, Orlando, Chicago, uh, Charlotte, Detroit, no one expects that. Um, we obviously saw Cleveland went out and spent money this past summer, and um, no surprise to see them in the top. And um, Atlanta also doing well. So I would say really my only surprise is Miami um, in the East. Jason, you got any other surprises? Yeah, I think Miami was – a big surprise that um they're currently sitting outside the play-in tournament, the same record as the Brooklyn Nets at seven and nine. Um, but a team I'm really want to look at is the Indiana Pacers at eight and six. They're in the playoffs. If the season ended today, they would be the best road team 
in the playoffs right now. They would be playing the four-seeded Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, and I, I give credit to a lot of their young players. We've seen the rookie Benedict Matherin come out of nowhere, and he's averaging 20 points per game off the bench, which is unbelievable. He could probably be the first player in a very long time, if this has ever happened, to win rookie of the year and sixth man of the year. Um, and we've seen Tyrese Halliburton turn into a star. He's probably going to be an all-star this year. He's been the floor general on that team, and Buddy Heald has been great. Miles Turner, I mean, this is career numbers for him. 18 points per game. We have never seen him average more than 13. Um, and this team is really coming together in a way that nobody expected. They're above 500, and at this rate, I think they could probably be a play-in team at least um, come after game 82 in April um, because at this rate, there's a lot of teams that are disappointing and we don't know if they can get back on track. Like, can the Heat get back on track? Can the Bulls, who also disappointed, can they get back on track? Will they get Lonzo, back, Lonzo Ball back soon? Because he's been a huge part of their team and their success last year. And then when he was injured, it went all downhill because they do not have that floor general. Um, but yeah, I, I do think the Pacers deserve a ton of credit as a great team in the East. But in the West, I wanted to look at another team um, here that's really surprised me, the Sacramento Kings. They could finally break the curse. They have the longest playoff drought in the NBA and in NBA history right now. And they are playing incredible basketball. Um, the depth that they acquired this offseason through the draft and through free agency have been real helps. And De'Aaron Fox is looking like a superstar right now. Jason mentioned the Kings being in the playoffs. Right now, Golden State Warriors and the Los Angeles Lakers are both not in the playoffs and not even in the top 10, which is crazy. Um, I think that's surprising for a lot of people. Yes, I think you could have your claims about LeBron James, Anthony Davis getting old, Lakers maybe past their prime, but Golden State, as Jason mentioned, they were the most dominant team in probably we could say the last 15, 20 years. And it's um, insane how like they're struggling so early. I think they are a team that could bounce back, but I don't know if the Lakers can. They're four and 10. They, they can't seem to win and they have injuries all the time. I think it's going to be an issue. Can Los Angeles bounce back? And I don't think so. I think the Lakers have a good chance at being a play-in team or maybe even getting a sixth seed. I do think that they're going to turn it around. I think it's just finding a stretch where everybody is healthy because at the end of the day, that is going to happen at some point. The team is not going to always be injured. Um, I think everyone will be healthy at some point this season. When you have LeBron and Anthony Davis on the floor at the same time with the right depth pieces, um, with all these acquisitions they made this offseason uh, in free agency, they got Dennis Schroeder, they got Patrick Beverly through a trade. Um, and I think that things are going to turn around. Um, I think th there's no way that the Lakers are going to go down like this um, because it, it would it would be crazy because um, the, if the Lakers end up um, finishing with one of the worst records in the league, I saw this, that uh, um, they, they ha do not have their first round pick this year. And that first round pick does go to the New Orleans Pelicans who could potentially be adding Victor Wembanyama, one of the greatest draft prospects we've ever seen. And the Lakers somehow are the worst team in basketball. We could be looking at a New Orleans Pelicans dynasty, and it shows how the Lakers would rather trade um, just one year um, for one year of a championship run back in 2020 for their entire 
entire rest of their future to completely go away. They trade away Lonzo Ball. They traded Brandon Ingram. They've traded so many pieces away. Um, and they just for Anthony Davis for one playoff run. And outside of that, they have not made it past the first round and they've missed the playoffs. Um, so it'll be interesting to see the Pelicans. They could be having Ingram, Zion, and Wembanyama along with some great um other pieces like CJ McCollum as well. Uh, Dyson Daniels, fantastic draft pick. Um, this year, um, good depth pieces around them as well. The Pelicans could be looking at a dynasty because of the Lakers' downfall of trading their entire future away for one championship run. I was going to mention the Pelicans. I know you're you're jumping ahead next year, but even just this year, they've got, as Jason mentioned just a second ago, Zion Williamson is back. They've got Brandon Ingram. <clears throat> they have C.J. McCollum now. Like, they are going to be a top team in the West. And if they get that uh, Lakers pick next year, they're going to be a scary team in the West. Yeah, I have no doubt that the Pelicans are going to be scary no matter what. And even this year, um, they've been competitive. Even last night against the Celtics, they look competitive without Zion Williamson last night. Um, they only lost by eight points, um, which I do give them credit for. Um especially because of their lack of healthiness and considering that Celtics are right now the best team in basketball. And Brandon Ingram looks amazing right now, even though he's not scoring as much as last year. Um, he's still been able to affect the game um, in a huge way. And CJ McCollum, I mean, that guy is just dishing. He's, he's playing like a floor general at the shooting guard position. He's even running a bit of point guard this year um, because they haven't found their true point guard to start. Um, but they do have some great young pieces like Trey Murphy, Dyson Daniels, um, and uh, they're going to be in a good spot, and they could do well this year and still somehow end up with the first overall pick, which I find really crazy. It's kind of like the L.A. Rams. They said F them picks for the Lakers, um, and now they're kind of paying because we, we're seeing the Rams' downfall as we speak right now. Uh, just to, to wrap it up, yeah, anything that's, um, I guess, on your mind for the NBA or anything that you think is surprising? I, I will say this before you go. I don't think the Lakers are going to be higher than the eight seed in the, the West. I, I think they're going to – the highest thing they're making is the eight seed. Um, I just don't think – I think they're just – that LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook, great players, but they're old, they're injury prone. I just don't think they can compete with all the, the young teams like – uh, Denver, Dallas, uh, New Orleans, Sacramento. And so I just don't know how they can be a top team with how uh, stacked the West is. Yeah, I, I, I think it is um, pretty unlikely that they are able to compete with those top teams. But again, I do think that they're going to end up sneaking into the play-in tournament at least. Um, and they, they'll probably be able to squeeze in just because of their experience in those type of games. Do you have anything else that uh, you want to mention with the NBA or? One more thing. I just want to talk about the Shea Gilgis Alexander MVP agenda because that looks incredible right now. The guy is playing at an unbelievable level, 31 points per game. Um, he was awesome Oakland against Thunder. the Celtics. I, I, I think that's like, very, I've barely seen any NBA action this year. I saw the Thunder Celtics game. He was incredible. He was dominating, and somehow the Celtics pulled that out. <laughs> yeah, Celtics um looked a little rough in that game, but because Shea Gillis Alexander had a just 
generational level. He's shooting 50, 40, 90 right now, averaging 31 points per game. This has not been done since Steph Curry in his MVP season in 2016. This guy looks incredible right now. And I think the Thunder have an incredible future, even if it's only like a play-in visit this year, or maybe they just miss out on the play-in. They're getting Chet Holmgren back next year. They have Josh Giddy. They have Lou Dort and Trey Mann and Poku. Um, they have the weapons uh, on this team. And um, I think that they're going to be a great team for the future. Moving on from the NBA, it's time to talk the NFL. Um, and where do we start? We start with what is called, and nothing short, the greatest of all time. I mean, what we've seen of Brady, I mean, the Bucks are, they're going to win the division probably, that terrible division. Um, they will make the playoffs. Who knows how much Brady will do, but Brady is still Brady. He's still the greatest of all time. And he's since um started the Rams game in week nine, he has completed a few milestones, including hitting a hundred thousand passing career passing yards in all time, including the playoffs. He in the comeback win against the Rams, he became the forty third career oh, he became uh the let me restart. The comeback against the Rams was his 43rd career, fourth quarter comeback, um, tying the great Peyton Manning um, for the most by an NFL starting QB. And in the Week 10, went over the Seahawks in Munich, which was awesome that they were playing in Germany. Tom Brady became the first QB to win in four different countries. So, I mean, there's really not much debate. But that's just more of a fact. Jason, any any comments to add on that? Not really. I mean, this is expected. If you play a, that long of a career, 23 years at that level of play, still being one of the best quarterbacks in football, I mean, it was going to come one day. And the fact that he's still playing is just even more impressive for this um, for these accomplishments. Um. The biggest question, this is bigger debate, which is the Las Vegas Raiders. They have, with the amount of talent they have, with Derek Carr, Devontae Adams, um, Darren Waller's their tight end, and bringing Josh McDaniels, they are 2-7. and seven. And so the biggest question is, is Josh McDaniels on the hot seat? Yeah, there's no doubt that he is on the hot seat with the expectations that this team had um, to do so well. And just to come up showing like this is just not what you really expect. And I think a lot of it is coaching because they have talent everywhere. There's not really a position maybe outside of the offensive line, which has improved as of late, that's weak. I mean, the defense could be a lot better for sure. But Max Crosby has been one of the best defenders in all football this year. He has seven sacks, and he's um, balling out. He's going to be an all-pro player this year, most likely. Um, but, yeah, I do I do think Chandler Jones has also been disappointing for the Raiders. He doesn't even have a full sack yet. And last year he had 10 and a half sacks. This year he has just half a sack. Um, and I think defense is one thing 
Um, but I, I think it's just, there's a lot of guys in that locker room who just don't have passion. Um, Derek Carr, he was interviewed after the game um, last week, and he was just in tears. He was saying that that there's some people who come to work every day and work hard, um, and other people just don't. And it's clear that Josh McDaniels has not been the guy that um, the Raiders have really wanted. Um, they, that they envisioned um, their head coach to be. I mean, maybe they would have better keeping Rich Passaccia, um, who led them to a playoff spot last year after the firing of John Gruden. And now he's a special teams coordinator of the Packers. So he's gone. So you're stuck with Josh McDaniels, but um, it looks like he's going to be more of a long-term plan. Their GM has, uh, their owner has said that um, they like him um, despite this rough start. And he's probably going to be there next year. Um, but I do feel for Derek Carr. He's been playing very well for, um, what he has, he's playing. He's playing very well. Uh, Josh Jacobs playing out of his mind this season. Um, this is best season by far in his career, averaging five point two yards per carry. Um, and eight hundred twenty one yards. The guy has been a top ten running back this year. And Devontae Adams, he has not missed a step. Um, without um without Aaron Rodgers, Derek Carr has been able to get him the ball just as much as Aaron Rodgers would have done. And he's producing eight touchdowns, 784 yards. Um, he, He's first in the league in touchdowns, by the way, for receiver, receivers, which is um unbelievable Um, considering this change of scenery. But I do think at the end of the day, it comes down to coaching. Joshua Daniels, unfortunately, is on the hot seat, and they're probably going to have to find someone new because at this rate, they're not going to win more than six games um, if nothing changes. I'm not going to say I'm ruling them out from making some miraculous comeback because they have these this talent. When you have the talent roster, I don't think I can doubt it, but I do think that the Raiders are going to miss the playoffs this year and probably have pretty high draft pick. So a couple of things with the Raiders. One, we know um, owner Mark Davis has shown support for him, including this tweet from... USA Today, which says um, when Mark, Mark Davis is considering his endowed coach, who's 13-24 all-time winners, including his abbreviated stint in Denver, um, Davis says, we're building an organization. We're building it for the future. Rome wasn't built in one day. Um, that being said, I think there's only so much time that you can give Josh McDaniels to keep struggling. Um, the only team that has a worse record than them is the Texans, and we all know they're in rebuild mode ever since they lost to Sean Watson and gave up all and and tried for all these draft picks. Um, they weren't expected to be good. The Raiders were expected to be good, and so I think yes, even though Davis is supporting McDaniels, I think he needs to say is. McDaniel's the guy for organization and goes back to your point. I think the interim head coach uh, from last year, they were able to make it to the uh, playoffs. Yes, they lost the Bengals in the wild card, but they fought through it. And that definitely was a controversial game, as we know, with the, the whistle blowing in midair. But uh, I don't think they should have um, gave up on him and let him continue. And I think how much McDaniels has failed as head coach with the talent of Derek Carr and, and uh, Devontae Adams is poor. The other thing, which is Derek Carr situation, he is a free agent after the season. And there are reports that if McDaniels stays, 
Tom Brady is also a free agent, there would be a good chance that, um, regarding the Tom Brady situation, but there's a good chance that the Raiders will let go of Derek Carr. If they let go of him, I think, before the Super Bowl, I think, if I'm not mistaken, then they save money. Otherwise, they have to keep him for an extra uh, player option here. But that brings the question of if Josh McDaniels is safe for another year and the Raiders need a new QB, do they go after Tom Brady? I think that is potential. I mean, um, I if you have to obviously think about, yes, the reuniting of Josh McDaniels and Tom Brady would be incredible. But at the same time, I don't think it's realistic. I think Derek Carr will remain a Raider um, because he just signed that huge extension this offseason. That's going to keep him in town till he's like 35, I believe. Um, so I think he's probably going to be a Raider for life. Um, un- unfortunately, um, yes, they would love Tom Brady, but I think Raiders fans still absolutely love Derek Carr. Um, but I mean, if Josh McDaniels is the head coach, I would not be surprised um, to see if Derek Carr is a bit disappointed and not necessarily asking for a trade because I know how loyal he Derek Carr is to his team and he wants to be a Raider for life. He's reiterated that so many times in all his interviews. Um, but I think we're going to see some a bit of frustration if um, McDaniels um, uh, ends this year off poorly and goes into next year as the head coach. I mean, yes, things could turn around next year, but if I'm Derek Carr, I'm going to be a little bit upset. I did not sign this four-year massive contract just for this, getting $40 million a year just to go two and seven. So just to clarify, the Raiders' deadline – for declining Carr, even though he signed the contract, they can decline him. Um, they have up until three days after the Super Bowl. They will only have like about five million of cap if they keep him three days after the um Super Bowl. Don't um get rid of him. They still have to guarantee him. I think about twentieth um somewhere in the twentieth thirty million range. So they could move on. But I think um, it's hard to know right now if they are going to. Yeah, I think they're probably going to end up keeping him around just because of his loyalty. Um, yes, like I've said, he he definitely could be frustrated, but they would be doing him an injustice if they decide to decline that option. It would probably have to be some sort of mutual decision if Derek Carr also wants to leave, which I can't even picture because of how loyal he is. Um, but Let's say something like that happens. Derek Carr expresses that he doesn't want to stay. There's a good chance that they let him walk and maybe he goes to a team where he can find more success. I do not think that's going to happen. I think there's like a 0.1% chance of that happening, but you never know. And if that did happen, I think um, Tom Brady could be the option, but I think the NFL draft would be an even easier option just because of how high their draft pick would be. They could get a Bryce Young or a CJ Stroud type of player. Last week, we probably saw what is going to be considered the 2022 NFL Game of the Year between the Minnesota Vikings and Buffalo Bills. I personally did not get to watch the game. I saw a few highlights. Um, Jason, did you get to watch it? Oh, yeah, I watched that. It was amazing. Uh, I think you want you want to dive right into it? Yeah, I mean, it was pretty much all Bills for the first three quarters. But then um, 
We saw a huge comeback by the Vikings. Um, a huge Dalvin Cook scamper into the end zone from um the from Bills from their own territory. Um, and then um following it up by some great drives um to get uh I believe a field goal or not sorry not field goal um I need to find this box score real quick um but I do remember following the Dalvin Cook touchdown um after that um CJ Ham had a touchdown late in the game they put together an amazing drive and then they forced um the Bills um to turn the ball over and get the ball back um and um we saw them march downfield with Justin Jefferson's generational catch um the guy on him one hitted snag out of the air and that's going to be talked about for decades now that's catch is absolutely legendary one of the best catches in NFL history it's up there with some of the greatest catch I don't know if I would say it's better than Odell because I mean to be fair the guy who was covering Jefferson kind of pushed the ball down into his arms I mean yes it makes it look cool that he had a guy on him but I, I do think that um uh, some people are, are overing the catch a bit but there's no doubt that Jefferson's um, the best receiver in football as we speak um, and um, they march on the field Jefferson makes some more amazing plays and then um, uh, they have a, many opportunities on the goal line. They fail, but um, the ball is at the one after a Kirk Cousins failed sneak. Then Josh Allen fumbles. Um, it's miscommunication between him and the center. The Vikings recover Eric Hendrick in the end zone. Um, but as we know, you cannot leave that much time on the clock for Josh Allen to get into field goal range as he does that pretty quickly. He gets them um, a 29-yard field goal from Tyler Bass. The Vikings get a field goal after winning the coin toss. Bills get the ball. Josh Allen pick ball game. I mean, th that was just incredible. Um, we saw all the stars um play amazing. And while Josh Allen struggled late, he had an incredible game. He had 330 passing yards. And I think he's getting a lot of hate that he does not deserve. Josh Allen played his mind out in that game. I will I'll just say first off, you did you did an awesome job giving a little bit of a, a play by play description of how that game unfolded. I mean, you there was I don't even know where to begin. I think I'll, I'll start with this. First off, Buffalo needs to stop blowing these leads. This is really bad that they are. Second off, I don't know if you noticed this, Jason, but I looked at their stats. The amount of points they scored in the first half versus the second half, notably different. Um, my point here says that the Bills led 27-10 with about two minutes left in quarter three. That means... The only points they scored after that was that last second field goal just to force overtime. Um, and so the amount that they're building up these leads, but if they're playing a, a good team like Kansas City and they don't have a big lead, are it's going to be tough for them in the playoffs if they can't hold on to these leads and blow these leads in the playoffs. I mean, that's going to feel like, in my opinion, going to be their downfall if they can't. Uh, continue. Yeah, it's been a big theme around a lot of teams, actually. The Bills, the Ravens, and the Eagles, they all have the best first half you could ever imagine. Their first half offense is probably some of the best we've ever seen. Their ability to score on every single drive is just unreal. But we see late in games, whether they hold on or lose the game, it's very rough. The Eagles, luckily, their defense is able to hold up on the final drive um, to stop the opponent normally from um, squeezing out the win. Um, and in this case, obviously, um, in the in the commanders game, they were down early, and that was their downfall. They cannot perform well in the second half. Um, 
And a team like the Bills, teams like the Bills and Ravens, they've shown that they blow leads when they're up and actually lose those games um, because of their inability to match pace or pace, the BLD for their defense to stay consistent throughout the entire game. They both have amazing defenses, but in the second half, they can't really do anything because of how tired they are. Um, and yes, I do think fatigue is part of it, but I've seen lack of effort from Bills and Ravens defenders come fourth quarter, and they're losing games because of it. The Ravens and the Bills both currently have three losses right now, and I can look at these games. All all Bills games that they've lost were decided by three points or less. It is unbelievable how close these have been. Um, that the Bills game, they were unable to score on the final drive down by two. Against the Jets in that game, unable to score on the final drive. And then Vikings, unable to score on the final drive. And it's because their defense is letting them down. And while their offense is great, um, I do also think that the offense needs to be more clutch because the Bills offense right now is just simply not clutch. I mean, um, Josh Allen is still doing everything he can, but there are some bad decisions being made and it's costing them because um, they can do all they want in these first two, three quarters. But if you can't perform in the final drive, you're going to be losing games and the final drive matters more than any drive in any close game. And then that Jefferson catch. Amazing. Yes, you can have your opinion if it's better than Odell, but just setting it aside, I mean, that was fourth and 18th, if um, you recall. And Minnesota, I think, was in like their own territory. I mean, that was just a Kirk Cousin heaving it up, throwing up a prayer. He, 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 I mean, that Buffalo wins that game, or who knows what happens with that game if Jefferson doesn't catch that. So it's, I, I think, like, yes, it was an amazing catch, but it's like, who even knows what would have happened if he hadn't even caught that? Yeah, if he hadn't caught that, that was fourth and 18, by the way, like you said, in their own territory. Kirk Cousins says, F it, Jefferson up there somewhere. As a lot of quarterbacks like to say, we know Burrow made that joke last year about Jamar Chase. But Jefferson is going up and getting every single ball that Kirk throws up, whether Kirk accurately places it or not, um, because we know Kirk Cousins has had accuracy issues in the past, but he is um, looking pretty decent um, as of late, um, especially hit with the Vikings compared to um, when he was in Washington. His accuracy has been a lot better in his decision-making. Um, but there's times where he's just heaving it up and hoping for the best. And while that may not always um, work out when you have Justin Jefferson on your team who has that much talent and that much technique uh, and that much upside, I don't think that there's anything you can do to cover him. And Kirk is going to continue to get credit for a lot of Jefferson's success. Quick question for you. Uh, do you think the decision to move the Bills game to Detroit was a good decision? Um, I don't really think um, it's that big of an issue, but I do think it was the right decision because I don't think that game was going to be playable. Maybe they could have moved it to Monday night, but I, I don't really think it was really worth playing in Buffalo. Mo Monday night was not an option because they're playing uh, Thanksgiving in Detroit. Um, But, yeah, I know fans want a snow game. As we saw from all the photos, I mean, it was – mess it's i don't even know if cleveland would have been able to get in so i i i'm just curious um as we like to do 
talk about sports headlines. This week's headline, or this episode's headline, is our World Cup predictions. As we know, the World Cup starts tomorrow between the host city, Qatar, and I think they're playing Ecuador. We will post something on Instagram with our bracket and who our top four teams are, so you can look at that and see if when we uh, talk next, if how our teams are doing, if any of them have been knocked out. Um, and with that, Jason, you want to uh, give your uh, top four? Yeah, and I might end up changing this on our post because uh, I have not fully made decisions, but right now I feel pretty confident in what I have. Um, I'm going a little bit um off track of what normal what a normal prediction would look like, but not for to do my top four. Um, finishing in fourth place, I have uh, Lionel Messi led Argentina. I mean, I would do anything to see that guy win a World Cup. He's my favorite player ever. I think he is the greatest player ever. Me too. But... <laughs> But uh, I unfortunately do not think he has the supporting cast to carry them to a final game. And I think they're going to lose the third place game, um, probably because they're going to rest a lot of their starters because they don't really need to play them. Um, but um, the third place team I do have is 2018's champs, France. I think France is incredible. I think um, they are only going to get more talented, but there are teams that are probably going to overtake them and just look better. Um, on paper, um, and we're seeing Mbappe's transition into the one of the best players in the world. Um, as you remember in 2018, he was just a little teenager, um, who played incredible, and I can only imagine. I can't really imagine how great Mbappe is going to be in this World Cup because he's just going to take his game to a new level, and he's still fairly young. Um, but he's going to be entering his prime pretty soon. Um, he's probably the best young player um in the world right now. In second place, I have a Cinderella team. I know this is very controversial, but I have a gut feeling that this team is going to go really far. I actually have Belgium at number two. Um, I think Belgium is very underrated and underappreciated. They have probably the best midfielder um, in their world in Kevin De Bruyne. The way he orchestrates an offense um, for that team, as we've seen um, with Manchester City and with Belgium, um, is just unmatched. The guy um, is able to set his team up um, for a lot of goals and a lot of great uh, plays on net. And I think that um, he's going to carry them to um, a Cinderella run. But fortunately, it's going to fall short in the World Cup final because, in my opinion, the team that's winning the World Cup this year is none other than Brazil. I think it's pretty much destiny for Brazil to win. They look like the best team on paper. They have the talent. They have the stars. There is no weakness on that team. And uh, we need to see Neymar win um an international um game because he has he has not won many international tournaments i believe in his career um and i think he's due for it and i think his group is very brazil's group is very weak this year um i think they're gonna pretty much walk to nine points through these three games um and uh i think that they're gonna be able to make it through and ruin the cinderella story of belgium and neymar um will get his um first world cup uh, in his career, I'll say this: I don't know how much uh, Belgium is a Cinderella. I know they they were third place. I don't know. Um, they were third place in twenty eighteen. I don't know what they've done since then, but that's just my opinion. I don't know if it's Cinderella. Um, top four is my fourth place. I also have Argentina. Um, 
bum short to Germany, who is my third place winner. Um, they're big rivals in that huge game against Spain um, in the knockout or the group stage on Sunday, November 27th. Uh, that's um, going to be an awesome game. And I have Spain falling just short of a World Cup title as they lose to the going to be back-to-back champions, France. So France beating Spain and Germany beating Argentina. With that, that's going to wrap up episode, what we, 49? Wow, it's crazy to think we're over two, close to two and a half years into this. Our next episode is Big 5-0. The World Cup is happening. We are going to hopefully in the few next few weeks have a few more guests, including U.S. women's national team player and world two-time World Cup champion and two-time Olympic champion Christine Lilly join us. And uh, we'll also talk with some, hopefully some MLS guests, as we know the MLS is in the offseason and more great news coming up. So that's what's on store coming up. Right now, it's the World Cup. Time to party, I guess. Anything else to add, Jason? I think that's it. Good World Cup coming up. Really excited. The group stage starts tomorrow. Starts tomorrow. USA, Wales, Monday. Uh, that's it for for the CBJ Show. For Jason, for Brandon, thank you for listening to the CBJ Show. <laughs>